Hi, beautiful beings. Welcome to the Soulful and Authentic Podcast. I'm Joanne Oswell Jones, your host, and this is season one of The Task Ahead is Never as Great as the Power Within. Today is episode 12, and I am super, super excited to be introducing you to the amazing Toby Garbutt. What a guy, what an athlete, and what a story. I know you're going to really enjoy this conversation because it is super inspirational. Toby grew up from a young boy lacking in confidence into a world-class Olympian, a two-time world champion GB rower. He's competed in five world championships. He represented Great Britain at the age of 19. He's attended two Olympic Games. He's an expert in the art of physical health and well-being. And if that is not enough, He's a motivational speaker and he travels the globe, inspiring the younger generations to rise up and to become the best they can be by tapping into their strength within and adopting a focused and positive mindset. So we're in for a fabulous conversation. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Toby, it is so great to have you here today on the show. I can't thank you enough for coming on because what you've achieved and what you go on to keep continue achieving is just amazing and i know all the listeners out there will be so inspired by not only your story and the ups and downs but the challenges and the inspiration and the strength with what you've achieved because what haven't you achieved i mean you're you're uh, you've been to two olympics you've competed in five world championships you're a two-time world champion uh, rower you you first represented great britain in 1997 when you were just 19 yeah. and then you went on to win your first world championship at the age of 22 i mean and you just don't seem to stop so i just thought what a perfect guest to have on the show and Tell us, tell us everything. Let's go back to the beginning because 19 years old is very young to actually be representing your your you know, your country, hugely young. Was this something, was sport, was being an Olympian and a world champion always in the forefront of your mind from when you were a little boy? No, I think, you know, I was uh, fortunate to have a couple of PE teachers going through various schools that handed over the baton almost to the next PE teacher. Um, And I had those, I guess those PE teachers that I went through were there at a really critical point for me because I really struggled with dyslexia at school. And it was at a time when some teachers didn't really believe in it. So I was sort of, I've really struggled in the classroom because they were, I was just labelled as lazy. And out on the sports field, I was like, Dynamite. I missed 100%. Like whatever it was, even if it was a sport I might not have been very good at, I would just give it absolutely 100%. Um, and I remember one of my teachers saying, rugby teachers, he said, and he was also a maths teacher, he said, oh, I wish he could try as hard as he does in rugby as he does in in the classroom and it wasn't I wasn't trying it just I found it really difficult um there used to be a real stigma around dyslexia and and like you say there wasn't the knowledge or understanding yeah actual thing (laughs) yeah And and I think looking back I got diagnosed also I guess quite late as well and it was one of these things I just really struggled in the classroom and I but I had a couple of PE teachers who just um could see that there was some potential there 
I mean, but you know, it, it you know, back in the early nineties, late eighties, it was an era when we weren't winning medals at Olympic level, and so there wasn't anyone to follow. So you couldn't say, "Oh, I want to be a, you know, a runner, or I want to be an athlete, I want to be an Olympian, or whatever," because it wasn't a, you know, it was an occupation; it was just a hobby. Um, so that, all those people we saw at Olympic Games, that you know, none of them were winning medals, uh, and none of them were getting paid paid to do it you know, for the non-medals they were winning anyway. So it wasn't an occupation. Mm. Um, and a lot of the work I do in schools now, quite rightly so, you have the kids who say, oh, yeah, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a fire person, I want to be a policewoman, wherever it happens to be. And then you also have people who now say, I want to be an athlete, I want to, go, I want to be an Olympian, because it's a, it's a recognised thing. And I think we probably owe that down to a little bit with John Major who set up the sort of the lottery uh, and tried to steer you know that money um, towards funding, yeah. for funding yeah so that yeah. you know that allowed me at the time you know to basically take my sport more seriously um, you know I'm sort of talking to you here from Leander Club which is where it all started through which I thought would be a quite nice place to talk to you from it's a busy yeah, day sure. right in the library here um, and it's quite a famous library because it's got lots of um, lots of like history on the sport of rowing which is only here and I know that the River mm-hmm. Rowing Museum want it who are just across the water from us on the other side but um, it's quite a special place um, it's a busy day here at the club we've got a wedding going on at the moment outside um, um, but yeah, it's just a really, it's a really nice place to be. And this is where it first started for me. And it is only because I had a teacher that went from one school to another school. And I was able to sort of pass that baton over, as I said, and just give me the confidence when I was really struggling in the classroom. And I guess that self, that self-confidence slowly built. Yeah, um, I mean, was it, was, it, was it something that took a long time to build? Because if you think about what you've achieved, really what you have um, contributor to humanity is is really significant and you know to go from a sort of um, a, a young boy with no confidence because you're being labeled lazy or because you know you found academia difficult you know was there a switch when you came onto the pitch or when you went outside was it like suddenly you were this different person or was this just something that just built over time um, no, uh, yeah, you know, I was I was at a school in Birmingham on Wednesday to, doing some work with some um, uh, disabled kids from Langley Academy in Solihull, and um, I showed this. One of the slides I had was on one side of the slide it had I can't, and then it had I can on this side, and then the progression towards that on it. And I show it with a lot of the school talks I do because I sort of telling to them I said like I went through basically school saying I can't the whole time you know I can't I'm not big enough I can't I haven't got the right trainers I can't it's too oops I think we've got a an internet it'll come back in a second guys let's do this are you yep you're back my back, sorry about that. So you were saying, so, I can't, you went through school saying, I can't, yeah. I can't. And I sort of talk about that when I go into schools, about the progression of how you get there. And the reality is that sometimes it takes a long time for someone to get to where I can. 
And sometimes it's like a switch for other people. But what I do say is that you need to try and take every opportunity you can in order to build it. And if you don't come outside your comfort zone and don't take every opportunity you can, you won't ever get to saying, I can. So if, you, if you're someone who says, I can't, I can't, I can't, you need to make sure you come outside that comfort zone or that bubble all the time to be in a position to improve yourself. Because if you sit in this little bubble the whole time, and this is what I do when I go into schools because everyone's in their little bubble within school and they don't come out of that bubble very often. Um, and then they, you can't then improve. So I'm always trying to get people to take risks. And the risk for me was, is that rowing wasn't necessarily natural to me. And I had a teacher at school that said, I think you'd be a really good rower. Um, I think, and they had a chat with someone who spoke to someone else, who spoke to someone else, and they got me a tryout down here at Leander Wow. And I didn't want to go. It was early in the morning. I remember very clearly I hadn't sculled before, so that's with two little oars. So you can see these oars behind me here. It's holding these, like, little oars here to do this sort of sculling action. And you're in a boat which is literally that wide, okay, but incredibly long. And I was putting my boat in the water, and I remember at the same time, Steve Redgrave had his boat on his shoulder like this, walking down to the landing stage, holding his oars in his hand. And I was like, nervous, nervous, don't fall in, don't fall in. Like, you know, just sort of like all that sort of panic. Anyway, I came down here. I gave it a go. They invited me back the next day. I got up early the next morning, came down here again, did it again. Next day, next day, seven days a week. Training twice a day, every day. Um, just, just do it. Do you know, I didn't because I wasn't very academic. There wasn't another payoff of like, oh, I should do this instead. But it was just right. like I found something I was getting better at. There was that situation where small fish in a big pond, and I was training with Steve Redgrave, Matthew Pinson, James Cracknell, Tim Foster. All, I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. And, <laughs> And then it was like, well, you know, I always try and aspire to people. And I, you know, they, when I'm working with kids, whatever it is, they sometimes think they're the big I am when they're in their school or in their club or whatever it happens to be. And I'm saying, look, I know you're good in this school you're at. But I said, you know, when you're talking about senior level, you know, you're down here at the moment. The step is like huge. Yeah. And I say, you want to try and put yourself in an environment where you're going to learn from other people and you're not the best. You want to be in an environment where you can learn from other people. 100% um, because you that's where we're stretched, right? And when you yeah. listen to other, and and really that that's part of this chat, this conversation that we're having because there will be someone out there listening to this and there will be someone saying if he can do it, I can do it. And and that's yeah. what it is, it's about paying it forward, right? And so smart of you to look at these people it, you know I think when you can learn to come out of ego and learn to look at others and just go you know perhaps there is something within me that I've got that I can aspire to to become the yeah. best and I think when you come when you when you when you sort of put your ego aside and come at it with a with a sort of open perspective you know and willing to give it a go it's amazing what unfolds right I mean yeah, yeah. I mean I, in retrospect, all those things you've just said, but at the time, I didn't know that was going on. I think at the time I was just like, 
I'm in this environment. These people at the top of their game, I can see what they eat. I can see how much training they're doing. I can see what rest they do. And they're winning gold medals. So, you know, it doesn't take that much intelligence to work out. If you do that, that's where you need to get to. Um, and you could, I could, have, I could have gone one way or the other. I could have gone, oh, well, that's, that's too daunting. I'm not going to do that. I'll go to a, a, a lesser known club. And that's what I was faced with because at that point in time, it was like, right, fresh out of school, just done that. Now it's time to go to university. And then I was like, mm, this is a difficult decision now. What do I do? Because do I, do I go to university and leave this and go to a boat club at a university and then try and get through the system? Or do I stick with where I'm at? Well, that's that's when I think your your power within was talking to you because actually your ego probably would have said do you know what I think let me just go off to university go to yeah. a club but the strength within you was going no I've got this I've got this I can just if I just keep doing this and keep going yeah game so it was your power within already at that young age saying you can do this you've got it uh, it's amazing yeah it's, it's a hard it's, it's a it's, it's like that situation where I'm I've got to take myself and it's like, well, am I better off being the worst than a not very good person in a high caliber scenario or environment? Or am I better off going to a a place where I'm the top dog, um, but then there's no one to learn from at that point? Exactly. Um, And it's... I decided to stay where I was. And I do, you know, I you know, I do some work up at Loughborough University all the time. We do, we run the school games every year. And I do look, I go around these campuses and I go, oh, this is an amazing place. I think I would have loved to have come to university here. Um, and instead I was I was training here twice a day. I was um going to Farmer College Technology to do my studies. Um, instead of going to a university and then I was working at Weatherspoons for three pounds and one penny an hour at the time um, and, and, then, and then you became world champion do you know what I mean Hello. well yeah and so it, and we I was going down this route for a couple of years and I was thinking this is hard um and I remember at the time in 1997 and the the lottery money just kicked in and I came fourth at my first world championships in the eighth um and it was just enough to get onto that run of an A grant, which was £8,000 uh, grant for the year. And that enabled me to um, quit my bar job um, and able to go, full, I say full time, and then, but that enabled me to do three sessions a day and, and train at the weekends as well as do my studies. And I think that was a really critical time. And then that's why from that era, we then started seeing success um, at the Sydney Olympics, Athens Olympics. And then as it went on, British rowing and all the other sports started to then go up the table. Um, because up until that point, it was, you know, we weren't, we weren't very successful at all. And, and uh, we owe a lot to that, that funding and we still do. So that was my initial intro in and the first year was like fantastic got the lottery funding came fourth at my world championships but the reality now now i've stepped back from from well rowing as a sport you're either going like this which is what i've realized in sport or you're doing this right no professional sports person is just like running along this line it just doesn't oh like that um 
And um, why is that? Why is that? I think because if you're any good, you're always pushing. For the next accolade. So you're either, you're either going up like this because you're getting all your PBs or you get injured, ill, something happens and you're down here like this. You, to, in order to win gold medals on back-to-back years, you can't do the same thing. You, can't, you just can't because the competition moves on all the time. And, and even in my coming, you know, sports people, um, yeah, new, new players to the game, right? Yeah, and it's, so everyone, you're not reinventing the wheel, but you, you can't. If you try and do the same program one year after another year, the competition slowly catches you up because you just because they, they'll find a new way of winning, and you know you can see that with. You know, the famously David Brailsford with British Cycling was talking about this marginal gains. Yeah. And if you just improve these small bits, whether it's the uh, the engineer, the person who does the aerodynamics, the person who does the nutrition, the person who gets the right mattress so you can sleep a bit better at night, and the physiologist and the coach and all these people, if they all, all improve what they're doing by 0.1 of a percent, it suddenly leads up to a couple of seconds on the track, which is a huge, which is a huge. So, yeah, you know, people are always trying to strive to sort of improve themselves all the time in sport, and you can't sit still. So, it's one of those things you're always trying to drive yourself to try and what can you do differently this year than you did last year to make yourself a few seconds bigger, better. Where did you get that? Um, determination from and that inner strength from to do that because that to me sounds exhausting I mean of course yeah. it's about pushing beyond um, in all walks of life but what you do is physically grueling I mean I remember watching you train you know at Wentworth many years ago and yeah. I remember the, the the declined parties and the you know going home early getting up early seeing you in the pool first thing in the morning yeah. uh, it was relentless yeah I mean yeah there is no there's no respite and you work out that, you know, you're doing X, Y, and Z for that year to get to the world championships and win a medal. And then you then look up, look back afterwards and you go, right, okay, we won that by, you know, 0.3 of a second or something. You know, all the other boats were within two seconds of us, 2000 meter course, 204 strokes. You know, there's only so many ways you can skin a cat. So you've got to try and think about, you know, what can you do? And I think the biggest thing I've, I've noticed over the last 20 or 30 years in sport is that people are looking at the, what they can improve. So they're looking at now, they're looking at more about not the nutrition, they're looking at the recovery, they're looking at, um, you know, things like ice bath and the physiology and stuff. So yeah. all the things. So there's only so much training you can do. Because I, I, we, I felt we got to a point within British rowing where you're basically you're doing three or four sessions a day. Exactly. There's only so much you can do because there's, there's only so many hours in a day and you need to have, you need to take on sustenance and you need to process that through your body to be able to do the next session. So you then have to start thinking clever and start thinking about, well, where can we make these improvements? Um, and that's, I think that's the biggest thing I've seen from the lottery money kicking in is that suddenly we've got a physiologist, we've got a nutritionist, we've got a physiotherapist, we've got all these extra people to increase our team. And to, to help dramatically. Help, yeah. Basically help. So that's the biggest thing I noticed in my time. 
And, that, you know, I think that was my, you know, my era was going from that unprofessional athlete who turned up and, you know, I don't know, had your, had your sausage beans and whatever it was the night before, and then you, you cooked breakfast and maybe you went out for a curry on a Friday or something. And then suddenly, you know, in a very short space of time, the lottery money came in and then suddenly everyone's on funding. You know, we had, we had the, from the Formula One, I remember we had the, um, the biomechanics came onto the boat where they could actually, just like a rowing machine in the gym, you could see, you know, what we, how hard we were pulling on every single stroke. How far we were. And then suddenly it was like there was nowhere to hide at all because you came in to the landing stage, you had someone taking blood out of your rear to look at your lactate levels, you had someone taking your heart rate, you would have someone then, you know, in the mornings, you would have a physiologist, you'd go to them in the mornings, they would weigh you, you would, they would analyse your pee uh, on that morning and that would be like all the way through. So you would see how hydrated you were, all those sort of things. That was the biggest thing, I think. The intricacies are incredible, aren't they? I mean, really measured every cent of the way. Yeah. Yeah, and there was no, there was no going out on a Saturday night for a, for a nightclub or anything like that anymore. It was like absolutely had to be there. And you know that, that takes a lot of strength. And I and you did do that. I saw you do that. You know, when everyone else was partying, I think I remember one text from you saying had to leave a party because I think someone was smoking a joint. There was, there was something was going on at that point, way back. And, you know, you were just like, I've got to get myself out of here because I yeah. can't have that stuff anywhere near me or anywhere near my blood, you know? Um, we, 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 it was also the era of the, so we had um, the whereabouts um, scheme, which is for British athletes, and it's still here now, that you have to, you have to text where you're going to be. So you need, you need to be somewhere for an hour a day you need to be at that location and at random at any point in the day, three or five days a year, a drugs tester would come up and drugs test you. Yeah. So you normally said you were going to be at your home between 4am and 5am in the morning, for instance, at that location. If you weren't going to be at that location, you need to have texted the whereabouts program to tell them where you were going to be instead. So you had to send them an address. And also sounds quite easy but actually if you're if you've got a girlfriend or boyfriend and you're you need to then change your address that night if you're suddenly staying with someone else that night yeah and it became apparent with me that um was going out with this sound artist in Shoreditch and which already sort of gives you a bit of a picture and an idea about what they're going to be like um and there were drugs on the table and I was like this is this is mental I'm you know I'm yeah. telling I'm telling the, dr- the drug testers to come to this location and then there's all these drugs here I mean it's just like it's not a, so you know you have to then make some choices and that, I think that's the biggest thing for, that. for yeah. young athletes you've got to make choices and that's that's really hard because whatever sport you're doing through the ages of 15 16 17 18 there's going to be moving house, going to be girlfriend, boyfriends, all these sort of things that happen with normal teenagers. And you've got to say... You've got to okay. work out what aligns with you and where you're going and your purpose. Yeah. yeah. I remember so, that. I remember you saying, I've got to get out of here. This is well, yeah. Not that I was there, listeners, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. This was just a story that was recounted by, yeah. by Toby. So listen, take me to your first big medal, your first big winning that world champion 
the championship at age 22. That was yeah. that was iconic. Well, that, yeah, so I think, you know, people to always talk about is, um, for me, I'd got over a prolapse disc um, and I was told I wasn't going to row again. So I remember going to Northwick Park Hospital. I remember lying uh, on a, you know, in a hospital room. And I remember them doing a, one of those curved needles, an epidural into your back. And I remember them doing it repeatedly because my discs were already quite worn, or the vertebrae were quite worn already. And I remember them saying, oh, you've got a back of a 50-year-old. Um, and I was like, oh, this is not great. I've only been in the sport a few years. And that was in 1998. And at the time, they were trying to give me an epidural to get me back into the boat in order to race. Wow. And it just didn't work. And it messed with my spinal column and my nerves. And I had to send a, end up in a dark room for two weeks because I couldn't do any natural light or anything or any light at all because it gave me headaches. And I remember, you know, watching the World Championships instead of being at it, Aww. you know. And it was just sort of a really depressing point. And then I, be, and that's when I left rowing. I became a Pilates instructor. And uh, what was difficult is obviously the funding I was on, like, you know, that got taken away. Um, I became a, did all my qualifications for personal training and Pilates instructor. And in doing so, I was able to actually rehab myself. And at the time, I mean, I was just going to Blackburn Leisure Centre um, and just training on the rowing machine in order to try and get myself back to fitness. Um, because was the goal to get back into uh, a boat, was the goal to get to a championship at that time? You know, at the, I wasn't, still wasn't probably bold enough almost to say that. But at the time, all I know is that I could be better. I, I knew all I knew is I could be better than I was. Right. So I like started this sort of like initial. I thought, oh, I can see where the pathway is, and I got to here, and I could see I could get to here, but I hadn't done the, the steps and I hadn't done enough training to get to here. And I so I started back on that pathway, and I just started to see where it get got me, and I was just training really hard, um, but by myself, and that was difficult. You know, you're just in a local gym with gym goers paying you whatever it is, three pounds to get into a local leisure centre to do your training on the rowing machine. And then and then there was no one sort of jeering you on, to, oh, come on, you can do this. And I just stuck at it. I just stuck at it. I knew I needed to get under six minutes for a 2,000-metre rowing test on the rowing machine. I, you know, that's not... I came back into the team, did a personal best on the rowing machine, and then within a few weeks got selected for the World Championships um, in um, Zagreb in Croatia in 2000 and uh, won a World Championship medal. And I think when, you know, people talk about, I think it was the, the disappointment in the years previously that then made that amazing. So, I mean, that will always be my, to me, that will always be my best moment because I'd been through so much disappointment and people telling you, you can do it, that sort of thing. So then, and then you did it yourself. And, and that was the thing. You weren't surrounded by a team testing your blood, taking this. You literally yeah. went to Bracknell Leisure Centre, yeah. got on the rowing machine and went, I'm going to do this. And you did it. I mean, that's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. It just goes to show, doesn't it, the power that you've actually got. And, and you channeled it and just went, I'm going to do it. And you did it. Yeah. I, I think I'd seen visually what was needed and what you needed to get to in order to be able to make the team. And I just went away and worked on it by myself. Um, 
and, and you know, and I, and I got there, you know, there was some obviously good coaching as I got closer to the world championship and stuff, but it was quite a short time between me coming back into the team and they sort of went, okay, yeah, that time is good enough. And then I was selected. And um, so, um, yeah, so that, that, I guess that bit will always be my pinnacle, but it's only really because of the disappointment. Yes. Beforehand. And I think it's one of those things is that, you know, that's the sweetness, that success is always tastes a bit sweeter if you've been through that, those difficult times. Well, it's polarity, isn't it? It's like you can't experience, you know, being fat without being thin. You can't experience being fit without being unfit. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you have to see both ends of the spectrum because that's when you really feel the amazement of what you've actually achieved and what you've done, which has just been incredible. Yeah. So um, from there, talk to us about from there. So then from the world championship. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I sort of felt that was a really good point. And then at that point I got selected as a pair with a guy called Steve Williams to go to the um, Sydney Olympics in 2000. And it was a real shame because I'd been, I'd been, I'd been in the squads with the eight up into that point um which went on they went on to win a gold medal and I and unfortunately um me and Steve had been thrown together as a pair at the last minute to be spare pair for right. the Olympic Games and as we got closer to the Olympic Games um we realized we were going really quickly in the pair because we were doing times against uh, um Ed Coode and Greg Searle in their pair um and we weren't just competitive. We were faster than them on quite a few occasions. Wow. Wow. And we were like, oh, no, this is like uh, really frustrating um, that we couldn't that we couldn't compete at the Olympic Games. And it, and, it, and it was a difficult moment because, you know, as a spare, you have to get up every morning whilst you're at... As though you're as, going to do it. Going to race. Yeah. So you, you don't get the highs of being in the Olympic Village. You know, we were in... Uh, around the corner from Penrith near the Blue Mountains in Sydney and um, we had to get you up every- to do all the training everything as though you're going to right yeah all the all the training all the training and you have to get up to all the stretches and you have to be down on the course if you're someone gets injured and you're about to jump into the boat and we had to do the spares pairs race the day before the Olympic Games and they you know it's their dress rehearsals so literally they'll bring out the people who put the medals on, carry the flowers, all those sort of things. And you have to stand there. And although we won the race against all the other nations, you have to stand on the podium and they pretend to put a medal over your neck. Um, so it's, uh, and that, and I remember because there was guys on the team and that it was being beamed back into Olympic Village. So they could see us pretending, bowing our head to have these pretending medals. Um, so that was that. What I was thinking is, I want to be in the real race. You want to be, and you want to be there. And it was really, and it was a really difficult time. Um, um, and uh, yeah, it was a really difficult head when you were. What was actually going through your head? Like, this is unfair. This is so wrong. I'm here. I'm performing. I'm. Well, I think at that point we were thinking actually we are. Well, you've got to back yourself as an athlete, and we felt we were the quickest. We were the quickest pair, um, and we felt we should have been selected. But at that time, all the number, the names had already gone into LOCOG, the organising committee for the Olympic Games, and it was already too late. Um, so it was one of those things. Where, I mean, it was amazing to see Steve Redgrave be right there and watch him win his fifth Olympic gold medal. So that was an amazing opportunity. 
Um, and obviously just to go to the Olympics is obviously fantastic. Yeah. But I think we let I, we left those Olympics. And I was like, right, my you know my time now, and we formed our we formed a, a four together. But we had to go through selection for that, and you know, rightly so. The following year, we actually out you know we beat um, Ed Kud and Greg Searle in their pair for real at the final trials with Gatta. We and formed our own. Yeah, I know. So it's all like the proof was in the pudding there. And was like, oh. So we formed, uh, we formed a four with them. And I think it was going great um, towards the World Championships. And then without being known to us, uh, Greg Searle was doing selection for the America's Cup yachting. So we, he pulled out halfway through the season. Uh, can you hear me all right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. He, um, he pulled out halfway through the season. So we had to re- re- reform our four at the time. Um, so we had, even with that season, we had a bit of an up and down situation, and and in the end, we ended up winning, uh, defending our title. We ended up winning world championships again in Lucerne in two thousand and one, um, beating the Germans, which was fantastic um, to do that in an amazing location in two thousand and one. Um, amazing, Toby. That's been yeah. amazing. It's not easy, is it? No, it was. Uh, it was, and do you know winning a met trying to do it second time around they talk about it but defending your gold medal is hard because you're suddenly the pressure's on you as you know when I won it first time around no one was expecting it um but trying to defend your title second time around is really challenging but we did it we did it this Um, is what I love about you is just the it's like non-negotiable the 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 determination and the strength is non-negotiable you just go this is what I'm going to do. And you do it. And what I love about you is so much is that it's whether you even knew it at the time, you don't allow the ego to come in and make such a big play. And, and that's, that's quite special because, you know, when people are performing at their best and when they're, whether it's, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, sports people, uh, you know, the ego can take over. But you you didn't allow that to happen. You were always open to learning more, always, you know, looking at comparison and seeing how you could better yourself and get inspiration from others. And and that's a very, very powerful attribute to have, because I think sometimes your ego can be your worst enemy. Yeah. And like you sort of see that with like, you know, boxers and footballers who get paid a lot of money at an early age. And but just like rowing is like because I mean, it's such a brutal sport. I mean, you're just training like three or four times a day. Every session is really hard. There's no like, there's no, you know, there's no like, oh, massive monetary gain at the end of it. It's, it's, I mean, the the most amount of money I was on from the lottery was, I think, 16,000 pounds. And, you know, some people have had children with that. You know, some people, you know, you know. If Uh, you take that in a comparison to a footballer's salary, when the level of of effort, Yeah, and we're training seven days a week. You get one day off every six weeks, um, and you, you know it's like it's absolutely relentless. So there's no—I don't think there's any space for ego in that at all. There's yeah. no flash car you're going to be buying. There's no flash holiday you're going to have, um, and you just got your head down and working really hard. Um, so I think you know. But you I, know I think- what you think? You know what I think about that is whilst I, you know, and please anyone listening, especially if you're a footballer, um, 
really what the difference is, and not that footballers can't go on to be inspirational and to be mentors, because I'm sure they do, but I think what you do with Youngsters Now and the work that you do in and around the country and around the globe with inspiring youngsters in school is, is so important. And, you know, to actually... I think, you know, in this society, it's really almost about getting people to realise that you can have whatever you want, but it's not always just going to be on a silver platter and that you've got to put the work in and you've got to put the hours in. And I think sometimes youngsters today um, can, you know, can look at perhaps, you know, signed footballers for X amount of millions and think that it's going to be a hop, skip and a jump. And it's not, is it? The reality is it's not. So I think you've done it in a much harder way perhaps, but look at how many people you're inspiring through that. I mean, that is really incredible. Yeah. I mean, the work I do in schools is, I mean, it's, it's really bad. You know, I, I value it. It sort of gives me a lot of a give back sort of thing. Um, and, but you see, I see it, you know, we do goal setting and stuff with kids in schools and there is, there is a lot to answer for, for social media with this yeah. instant gratification bit. I mean, there is, you know, there are some books out there, you know, that I'm sure people have heard of the 10,000 hour rule of committing to something 10,000 hours before you become an expert in it. I think the reality of it, I mean, the one book called Sports Gene, it talks about more like 14,000 hours as the um, the actual average. Um, but um, it, it's hard because social, I mean, I mean, trying to get a kid to try and do that sort of dedication and not see, I mean, you can be banging on the door for months, years before you get your slot. I mean, like, you know, there's some people who, you know, I went to the Olympics, but there were some people who were training for, you know, Olympiad four years. And not, and not get there. And not get there. And then they do another four years and still not get there. So, um, you know, that's it's really hard graft. And, you know, you know, doing work with kids nowadays, they're really expecting something to be instant. Um, I've, you know, I tried hard once and it's like, well, yeah, you've got to do that every single day. Like, um, so that... I think the world is changing and I completely agree with you about the whole, the social media, it can be a good thing, but it can also be a curse. Um, and but I I genuinely feel that there is a new world emerging, and there is a new way of being which is emerging, which is much more tapping into one's own strength and one's own responsibility and one's own self and what they're here to contribute. Um, and I see that, and I think that people people will find that difficult. You know, people will find um, having to stand up and be counted for within themselves a challenge because th- there's kind of no sense anymore of, of like you say, of, of responsibility or, or really digging deep within. But I think that that's coming back. And I think, um, I think it's a good thing. I yeah. Think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I hope, I hope so. And I guess that's partly reason I, I and we mentioned football already but I always find so football gets the biggest with kids I want to be a footballer I want to be a footballer and then when you ask why yeah that's what I say but why yeah. money and fame and it's like those two things that that's what they're looking for is money and fame and I'm just people, yeah sorry go on and I just like and it's also you see this the whole thing as well is that with the whole sort of like um 
you know, whether it's pop stars or wh- whatever it happens to be, is that no one wants to be, they say, oh, I'm really passionate about singing or acting. It's all, I want to be famous. And then that's, I felt the era that we've sort of been through, people just wanted to be famous for famous sake. Rather than for passion. And yeah. that's where I think it's changing. And yeah. you know, for anyone listening, Toby and I are not saying that you can't be famous. What we're saying is find your passion. Find yeah. your passion because all the money is there. All the success is there when you tap into it with doing what you're here to do, which is to be of service, to be passion, to, to do what you're good at and come from a place of passion. And when you do that, the miracles happen, the money, the money appears, right? The, the sponsorships happen, the opportunities unfold when you're coming from integrity, honesty, and passion. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree with you. Um, give me one minute, please. One minute. Yeah, you need to, we need to. Once. Do you, how long, how long do that's fine. That's, that's okay. Yeah. 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 That's great. Okay. Okay. Um, up soon. That was a registrar coming in to do. Oh that. wow. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, people. If we're holding yeah. working up. Right. Um, no. So that's yeah. So that's the thing is when I go into schools, I'm trying to, I'm trying to just make sure that kids are passionate about what they're in, what they want to do, what they're involved in, and try and then get them to understand is that it's not going to be an instant fix. It's going to be something over a period of time that you need to work on. And uh, with that instant gratification, it's trying to get the understands them. Talk. Yeah, so it's just, a, just about trying to get the um, uh, young people, children to try and really understand about that ability to dig deep. And when things get difficult, don't stop. You know, don't stop, you know, just, just carry on, keep knocking at the door all the time and also take every opportunity you can. So when someone says to you, Come and give this a go. Do it. Don't say. Don't put up the barriers. Yeah. I'm not big enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not. What am I going to look like? What are the people going to think of me? Try and just do it because what I found that what I've realised is that when you take these little opportunities all the time, it eventually leads to something, and you don't know at the time what that's going to be. But just try and take those opportunities and try and make sure you're improving yourself because as an athlete. I've realised that you have to push yourself every day and you've got to make things, if it's easy, you're going wrong. And I remember, I remember having clients come to me and they said, I just want to make this easy. I just want to make exercise feel easy. And I said, look, I said, you're looking at it the wrong way. I said, you know, even when I'm at the top of my game, winning medals, it is super hard it hurts lots I said but you just you're able to just do more for what you were doing beforehand you can perform better so try and not look for shortcuts and I think you know when someone tells you there's 60 second abs you'll look for something you'll look for something that can give you 30 second abs you know we're always look for we're always looking for a tablet we're always looking for a shortcut that we can quickly take in order to get to where we want to yeah everyone's looking for the quick tablet basically to to get you to where you want to be and no one's looking at okay well hang on what does this really take there's no quick fix Um, and you know something what's so interesting in that in my book I write about that I've written about how we come into this world as a beautiful bright diamond okay and we're capable of achieving everything that we want to achieve but over time the diamond gets muddied 
you know, and so we start to lose that connection to the tremendous power within. And um, I talk about how, you know, then we start to listen to the ego, which is where we go, you know, we're not good enough, we're not slim enough, we're not from the right background, we're not the right color. So of course, we go back to the unfulfilling life, the unsatisfying relationship, anything we're looking externally to make ourselves feel better by sticking a plaster so you know wanting something quickly or buying the biggest barbecue in the tent in an attempt that it will make us feel fulfilled within but it never does because of course you're not addressing what's really going on within and so I love what you just said there which is about stop looking for the quick tablet that's going to make a difference because you're saying the same as me stop trying to stick a plaster on this ever widening gap within, go within, do the work, you know, find what you find your greatness and, and, and work at it. And, and then you can achieve the miracles. It's amazing. Yeah. And you, you did that all throughout this whole journey. That's what you've done, which is just phenomenal. Well, thanks for saying that. I really appreciate that. And you've got to go uh, now, haven't you? I've got to go now. Yeah. So okay. uh, it's lovely to talk to you. Yeah, you too. And we will get you on the show again. I can't wait to share your story, the determination, the strength, all of it. So thank you so much. No, it's all right. Um, wish you all the best of luck and well done with what you're doing. And uh, yeah. good luck. I look forward to listening to this myself. Wow. What a conversation. He's so right. You have to be open to opportunities. You have to tap into that enormous strength that you have within even when you're feeling tired and exhausted and pushed to your limit. Because as Toby said, when you step outside of your comfort zone, that's where you'll find the magic. So I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Toby as much as I did. If you have any questions for him or you need any advice in relation to your health and fitness goals, or if you want to train with Toby one-on-one or perhaps invite him to speak at one of your events, you'll find all of his links and his contact details in the episode resources. Please be sure to reach out to him on his social media platforms and say hi, because I know he'll get back to you. And I guess all that is left to say is that Toby Garbett is a true testament to the task ahead is never as great as the power within. Amazing. So wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now, as always, I wish you a wonderful weekend. Stay well, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, be sure to get some laughter in and more importantly, make sure you step outside of your comfort zone this weekend. For now, much love.